Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us to Orange County, Anaheim Hills. Cassie Zebish, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. When Paul and I were first talking about this podcast, you were one of the first people that I uh, said, we have to get Cassie, because I was so excited by, you know, in a year where there was not much to be excited about. And we're all wondering, hey, what are we going to do if the floor drops out? Or how are we going to move forward? When I saw you announce uh, Rebuild 20. I was, I was very excited. So for those who haven't heard, you are co-founder and principal of Rebuild 20, but what is Rebuild 20? Sure. So Rebuild 20 is obviously something that came out of the pandemic. And I, along with my co-founders, I had someone approach me, Marianne Herman and the other women that are part of the team. And they said, hey. It's a big group of women, right? Yeah, there's four of us that co-founded Rebuild 20. And we are all industry professionals and executives. We are women that have been through so much in the industry. Some of my partners went through 9-11 and the changes that happened through there and how that changed the event industry. And we have a huge background. At some point, we all worked at AEG. So we really have that huge, large-scale event mindset. And we realized, you know, events are not happening right now. What are we going to do? What can we do to help get our industry back to business? And we formed Rebuild 20 as that resource to say, hey, while our events team is busy with events and operations and security and protocol and everything, you really need a COVID manager, right? You need someone who's focused just on implementing the COVID protocols, the top of mind things that you realize, but also back of house things that you don't realize, you know, the flow of how obviously sanitation is important and, you know, number of people you have an event, but there's so many things that go into it. And we've had such great response from the industry. Obviously, you know, large scale events are still to come, but we've had great clients already like Lexus. We had the Lexus drive-in event, Lexus Culinary Cinema, where the Lexus partnered with their culinary directors, Michelin star chefs to do a three-day event at LA Live in downtown LA. It was a rooftop drive-in event, rooftop paired with Michelin star chefs for dinner. So it was a really amazing event that we were able to do with Lexus as our partners. And everyone felt safe and you felt comfortable and things that were implemented you know, when you had to go to the bathroom, you texted your place in line. So you didn't have to go wait in line outside. So you get a text when you were ready to, you know, use the restroom. <laughs> that is the most 2020 thing I've heard. Right. But it's, it's genius. It makes so much sense. Right. And, yeah. You know, all the food was pre-ordered. And then when you got there in your car, you texted and someone brought your order to you. So it was such a great event. You know, we've worked with so many small businesses and other types of businesses where they were just struggling to open, you know, restaurants here in Orange County, you know, obviously I'm here in Los Angeles, Southern California, and the stay at home orders were just lifted a few days ago by our governor. And it's really hard for small businesses with this whole, we're closed yet we're open. Okay. Closed again, but no, we're going to open tomorrow. And it's just so much back and forth. It's, it's hard. 
I also own a small business with my father and it's a local neighborhood bar. We've been closed for 10 months. Our doors have been closed. It's been extremely hard and frustrating because we don't know when we're going to be able to open again. Our employees don't know when they can come back to work. And we're lucky we haven't had to shut our doors down forever, but it's, you don't know when that day is going to come because money runs out at some point, you know? Absolutely. And so I think so many people that are listening right now have that thing where, you know, we're part of this industry and you're like, what is our future, right? So when you look at that and take that step into, you know, starting your own business, you know, whether it's the bar or whether it's, you know, Rebuild 20, what kind of gives you the courage to do that? Because I think a lot of us have the ideas, but just kind of are are fearful of actually taking that step. Sure. I've actually started two businesses during the pandemic. So I totally understand how it's scary. It's really scary. You're making the rest of us look bad. No, no, trust me. I just try to figure (laughs) things out, you know, but it's just taking that first step, right? The entrepreneur side of me has always been in there, but it's always been, you know, I've had my full-time job at AEG. I haven't been able to do that and find that time, but they always say, you know, all the books I read and podcasts I listen to, it's just taking that first step and figuring it out as you go, to be honest. And, you know, I could sit around and, you know, I got furloughed like many of my friends and colleagues at AEG during this time, not just at AEG, across the industry, you know, and it was devastating. It really was. I've been with the company for over 12 years and it's been hard, but also I'm that type of person. I, you know, I can't stand still. I have to always be doing something. And I always have been looking to the future of like, okay, what does this mean for me? How am I going to turn this negative into a positive? And I just hit the ground running. I allowed myself one day, I call it a woe boat to have that, you know, be sad with my friends and you know, that type of thing. But then I just hit the ground running and I said, this isn't going to stop me. This isn't going to, you know, be the end of me. I'm going to figure this out. And to be honest, it's been a great ride so far. I'm trying to really make some positive things happen this year. So what did you call that? A a woe boat? Yeah, the woe boat. One of my grad school professors, he always talked about it. You know, we were young, spry, so excited about, you know, getting that internship or getting that new job. And, you know, where there was always so many people going for, you know, entry level jobs. And he always talked about the woe boat. Like, look, you guys are starting. You're not always going to get that role have your woe boat, have your 24 hours, your 48 hours of like, you're sad. I mean, I had a few margaritas when I got for a load, to be honest, and was on the phone, but you know what James, my fiance talks about, he's like, you know, you had your day. And then afterwards you were on fire. Like it was scary, like how quickly, but you know, allow yourself to be sad about those, those grievances about your loss of like your career. You spent your life committed to for so many years uh, for one company and then things happen overnight. And yeah, I had my woe boat, but then it's really important to get out of it because too many people get stuck in there. They get stuck and feel sorry for themselves and say, why me, this and that. And I get it. I totally understand. And it takes practice. You definitely, you have to be able to get out of that thing at some point. If there's one thing that people take from this podcast today, it's the woe boat because I'm a, I'm a huge believer in this. 21 years in radio, one day I find myself completely out of work, out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, just because of corporate radio rules, right? And so my wife came to me and we didn't have that term woe boat. <laughs> I like that. But she's like, give yourself a day to be as bitter and angry about this as you want and then let it go. And it was so freeing. Don't get me wrong. I was mad and I was hurt, but- you're right. So many people get stuck in that, in that woe boat and they just got, you have to get out. Right. So I love that term. I didn't coin it. I definitely, you know, but it's something that definitely stuck with me since grad school. And it stuck with a lot of us that were in that program because it's something that you, you know, you experience and a lot of people experience, but people get stuck in it. 
I think my woe boat was a pretty big woe boat, like a Titanic at times, but, <laughs> but I, I feel like I've gotten off of the woe boat or whatever, whatever the terminology would be a while ago, yeah, and it happens. but I definitely know the feeling. Yeah. But also it's like a learning curve, you know, it's like the first woe boat, it's not so fun. You know, you realize you learn, okay, what came from that? How do I take these negative lessons and turn them into a positive? And I'm all about that. You know, stuff happens that sucks. And especially this last year has been really hard on so many levels and so many different pockets, you know, and just trying to find that positive helps. I think to that point, turning the negatives into a positive, I thought like one of the funny things you mentioned is about doing the bathroom queue lines and how it's, it seems like such a weird thing, but I have to wonder if like things like that or even other things may stick around post COVID. You know, it sounds crazy, but how many times have all of us been to shows at arenas or amphitheaters and you walk by, unfortunately, usually the women's restrooms and there's a line outside and people are missing the show, they're missing the event because they're just having to stay in this queued line. So like even that specifically, I wonder if there is some sort of thing that post COVID we're like, you know, we could have been doing this better the whole time. And we didn't really have to think about it at that point. But now we have been forced into thinking about it. And now we'll maybe come out of it for the better. Sure. One of my partners talks about a lot about 9-11 and how things were drastically changed as far as security measures and implementation and how those things changed drastically. And it happened very quickly, like K-rails or fire lanes and things that now are just natural, right? You just adapt with them and they just are now part of our everyday event life. And I think a lot of the stuff that's happening with COVID protocols are just going to naturally be part of how we move forward in live events. One of the big things, the hallmarks of 2020 for definitely all of us is we had to stretch our learning muscles, right? Mm -hmm. We all got really good at what we do. And then all of a sudden, you've got to reimagine and reinvent. And obviously, you did that with, with Rebuild 20. One of my favorite uh, questions I like to ask is, I think you launched in July mm-hmm. of uh, 2020. So if you go back to where you kind of thought you were going to be and kind of, uh, or what you were going to do and kind of how it evolved right now, what would you tell yourself then? And where is Rebuild 20 at here in 21? Sure. So obviously, Rebuild 20 was founded in the sense of we want to help large-scale events come back um, to life. And safely and get, you know, everyone back to work. We want to, you know, our business and our industry can really do so much. And it's really sad that it's been affected by so much. And I think honestly, by now, like everyone else, I think a lot of us thought we would be back in some form, right? We would be back in kind of, you know, maybe smaller events, a lot more drive-ins. Some counties are allowing drive-ins, a lot aren't. Um, And that's been tough because we've kind of pivoted from, okay, we're going to help the large scale events come back to focus a little bit more on small businesses because until the small businesses can open successfully and not have to continue with these shutdowns, we're not going to be able to get live events and large scale events back. So we're really trying to help the small guys right now. And it's been great. Just be, be patient. You know, none of us thought we'd still be here nearly a year later. And we've really tried to focus, okay, how are we going to help each sector get back? And that's kind of what we've tried to do. It's a lot, right? There's just so many aspects to cover. And I think so often it's easy to just kind of look at everything and and get overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. It's just so many different areas to, to focus on. So is that is that kind of one of your things is like somebody calls up and they go, hey, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I beat overwhelmed. Absolutely. This is 
there's always so many things going on. So I've really prided myself on being able to prioritize and focus on the task at hand. And also one day at a time, obviously you can plan for what you can, but you know, wearing a lot of hats, you have to be able to say, okay, what's the task at hand today? And then really schedule, really prioritize what is important. Because if you start thinking large scale way too much all day, every day, it just becomes super overwhelming. And that's why I think a lot of people get intimidated by like, how am I going to do this? But just like one foot in front of the other one day at a time. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's something magnificent. Do you think that may be sort of one of the ways to return to live events is that gradual climb up? I think initially, of course, when things shut down, it was very much like a hard fall. But I wonder, you know, I'm seeing some buildings and arenas and amphitheaters start to do events, but they're starting at, you know, 15% capacity. Everyone's required to wear a mask. Like, is it kind of like starting on that small scale? And then as a vaccine's out and that's getting distributed, do you kind of, you know, meet those two waves to where cases start to go down, capacity can slowly increase, you know, things can slowly change. And instead of wanting those full events back immediately, instead just start that gradual increase as things are able to. No, I think, you know, I think we all totally understand that it's not going to be as we knew it right away out the gate, unfortunately. And we talk about at Rebuild 20, how it's really important to make sure that our fans and our customers and our guests all feel safe. They have to feel safe going to a live event and being with other people. And you can put as many protocols in place, but if people don't feel safe, they're not going to come back. And eventually they will, right? They'll start to learn, okay, this is their new way of how we're doing it, how we're handling it. But yeah, that small, you know, limited capacity, smaller capacity and gradually building, it's definitely something that you're going to see. And you see it, you know, with those sporting events that are allowing fans um, in some states and you see it, the limited capacity, you know, I actually went to the World Series and to be honest, it was awesome. It was awesome not having anyone around us, not having anyone right below us, right next to us. We really liked it. We know that's not, you know, uh, obviously in the ticket industry, we understand that you want to sell the tickets. So, but it was a nice experience to be honest. And so, and we felt comfortable. We felt really comfortable being there. So I think it's educating the fans and saying, okay, you know, being gradual about it and making sure people feel comfortable so that they feel comfortable coming back when it starts to grow. Cassie, to take things back a little bit, my, my first memory of you is uh, at our event and arena marketing conference, uh, you were leading a session on Twitter best practices. Okay. Not, not to age you too much, but that was, this was when Twitter was new, right? And I was new to the live event industry and I was, I was, I was asking you all kinds of questions and taking notes and should we be following our followers and those kind of things. What have you done you know, to kind of position yourself in this way where you've kind of become this go-to person on so many topics over the year. You know, I just, it, it's funny because it's really like, I, I say I wear a lot of hats or jack of all trades because I always am fascinated by kind of new media that comes out and a lot of things that happen, it's ever changing. And I feel like you have to constantly be educating yourself and be fully immersed in it. You know, I read a lot of books on on how to build businesses and entrepreneurs. And also I dive into it. I dive into new media platforms, social media platforms, and, you know, TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. It's fun to be part of the first people that, you know, get involved in it, but I'm learning every day too. You know, I've really dove into the whole TikTok world in the last few months and not the world of, you know, doing some fun dances or that type of thing, but the 
I was going to say, how many of the dances have you <laughs> done? And, you know, sometimes I'm just kind of like a fly on the wall. I like to watch and scroll and see what people are doing because I always say you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think there's so many great content creators that are doing such good things out there that I love to watch to see what other people are doing and take from what they're learning. And there is a whole small business marketing side of TikTok that people I don't think realize. And I've actually learned so much, probably more in the TikTok marketing small business side than I've learned from reading a lot of bestsellers, to be honest, because these are people who are doing it today. Marketing on Facebook is different than it was a quarter or two quarters ago. You know, things are constantly changing and they're giving tips They're sharing what they're learning. And it's like getting schooled every day. It's getting an MBA in TikTok almost. And it's like, you're learning how to market. You're learning how to do sales strategy and so many things that no one ever taught me. And you really have to educate yourself. And I'll have someone come like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm on TikTok because I'll be going through and I find myself for a while, but learning so much that I, I don't feel like it's a waste, right? I feel like I'm actually learning strategy, learning things because now as an entrepreneur, you really are doing a lot yourself. You don't have a marketing team always that you can turn to, to say, Hey, I need you to, you know, run these ads, pull this data. What are the analytics on this? I need you to put a Facebook pixel on my website. You know, there's a lot of things that I now have to take right. my own hands. And I've been doing that just diving in whether I'm the first person to say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. You know, someone teach me, how can I learn how to do that? And I find myself kind of absorbing a lot when you really kind of dive yourself headfirst into it. There's so much, right. And the, the creativity, the, the video editing, right. like I, I'm constantly like, I'm blown away. Some of the stuff that is out there is just really impressive. And I look forward to having live events to promote so we can have some fun with that. There's artists too, like, you know, that are getting discovered off of TikTok and they're landing record deals. You know, like there's that guy who just did like the, the sea shanty videos, blew up, had this whole groundswell of other videos and now he's got a record deal. And so I think it's, it's really amazing how it maybe more than any other platform and I'm sure it was just exacerbated uh, by the pandemic and everyone being stuck at home, but you know, how fast it went from being kind of just a fun, trendy thing to do with your friends or like a dance platform or whatever it was to being this almost like whole world of media that's bleeding into the culture and all these other ways to where you are having people that start off doing like a 15 second song and then they sign a record deal and have a whole album that's on Spotify two months later. I mean, that's, that's just unbelievable. It's how, how amazing that is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun to see it too. You know, it's fun to see how songs pick up popularity within TikTok and become mainstream on the radio. Number one, you know, it's, it's wild to see how much success has happened within one year, to be honest, on one platform and for so many content creators. Well, you talked about wearing many hats. So let's talk about one of the hats that's uh, most public, I guess. And uh, you're a TV star now. What's <laughs> that like? I'm a TV star. Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> I was flipping the channels one day and I was I was looking, Christine on the Coast, right? His name of the show. And I was looking uh, and I was like, is that? It's like, oh my gosh, that is. So would you tell us a little bit about how you ended up with a role here on a little reality TV? Sure. So my best friend, Christina, is on HGTV. She has a few shows on HGTV called um, Flip or Flop. And then she also has Christina on the coast. And just naturally, we've been best friends since junior high and, you know, through high school, went to college together, lived together. It's just been a natural, you know, friendship for so many years. And 
few years ago when she was going through some stuff, you know, she needed a publicist and she knew that she could always turn to me if that day ever came. And I just jumped in head first. And ever since then, it's been such a great working relationship with each other. It's been so easy. It's scary sometimes to work with your best friends. And I was hesitant in that sense only because I didn't want our friendship to falter or anything to affect that. But it's been so easy because, you know, when you go in the public eye, things can be really scary when you're making headlines for sometimes things that you don't really want to make headlines for. You want to be with a team that you really trust. So it's been so easy for us. Sure. And when her show got picked up, Christine on the Coast, they focus a little bit more on her personal life in addition to her transformations that she does for her clients. And we work so closely every day together. It was just natural that I was kind of you know, started shooting scenes with her. And then I wanted to redo my home and she's like, let's do it for the show. And it ended up just timing worked out really well. And it just kind of the, you know, they kept calling like, Hey, what can you film on Friday? What are you doing? You know, this and that. And it just kind of naturally progressed and it's kind of followed her life changes and, you know, you get to film with your best friends. It's so much fun. And it's kind of, worked out really nicely. It's been so much fun to do. I've signed on for season three and hopefully future seasons with her and her show and the network. And nice. Congrats. Yeah, it's been awesome. And they're going to, you know, I found recent love and I'm engaged and they followed along since James and I started dating and they follow along with our engagement. And this next season we're shooting, they're following along on our wedding journey. So is, that, is it weird nice. to have they always say you get used to the cameras, right? Um, but is it weird to have so much of your your private life, you know, public a little bit? You know, it's I'm very protective over everyone around me. So obviously my best friend, I'm very protective over Christina and what people are so easy and willing to say online. You know, people don't have, unfortunately, have any problem just saying things that they... <laughs> don't go on Twitter. Don't go on Twitter. Right, exactly. Yeah, we're all rolling our eyes right now. You can't hear it in the podcast, but... <laughs> That's, um, I'm more protective over her. And then it's, you know, it's interesting to start seeing, you know, people decide that they feel like they can make comments on public Instagrams. And it's like, it, it stings for a second. And then you remember, you're like... You don't even know this person. They're just, they're projecting their own insecurities on you. So, right. but it's not totally. because, you know, I've always been around cameras. I want to say working in the PR world, right. And working with media, but always on behind the cameras, obviously. And I feel like, honestly, I'm just having fun with my best friend and there's maybe someone there to watch it. And it's really, you see, yeah. come across with our relationship and the fun we have on camera. So yeah, obviously it's it's weird when you um every now and then, you know, someone's like, I know you. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, <laughs> and it's super awkward to be like, do you watch TV? <laughs> like, and then it's like, that's where and that I'm still having a little bit of um awkwardness with, but it's Are really you on cameo yet. Can I can I book a cameo with you? <laughs> yeah, I'll do that for free anytime <laughs> you want a cameo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's been so fun and it's you know, it's it's really been a fun ride. Cause we're not about the drama. It's, we're not real housewives of Orange County. There's no drama or fighting. You know, that's not, we don't do that. I don't know who does that with their real friends. Right. Yeah, I know. That's not. I feel like so much of that is just staged oh, though. Absolutely. And maybe that's a good thing is that with, you know, with this, it's, it's just like you said, it's like having a camera in the room with a friendship. And I'm sure you also are, have the ability to curate it some, you know, it's not like if you're having a certain moment, you're going to invite the cameras in. You've got, you yeah. still have a private life, you know, but you're able to kind of showcase your, 
friendship. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people really enjoy the show because, you know, Christina is a real person and has real life issues and goes through it in a very public eye. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of families relate to her because it's a really real thing to go through divorce and separation and sharing your kids, et cetera. But I think she's done it in a really great way and been really honest about it, transparent about it. So it's been, it's been fun. You mentioned how you guys became friends in junior high, but so let's, let's take it back there. Let's, let's go back to, you know, 14 year old Cassie. And is this kind of where you kind of thought your life would be headed in, in this direction? Did you always know that live entertainment was kind of your thing or the entertainment industry or, or and what kind of sparked that? Sure. No, I've never, I never knew what I wanted to do. Looking back, you know, I'd watch award shows with my mom but I'd be more concerned about the red carpet than the actual, you know, who was getting the award, to be honest, and seeing all that and the excitement. I was raised by a single mom, an independent woman who raised me on her own and always taught me to be independent, make my own money, go for what I wanted to do, always supported my dreams. My mom, you know, it's, I laugh. And I think a lot of us, it's like, you know, our parents are always confused of what we do. And my, my dad always would tell people I run Staples Center. Dad, I don't do that. And if Lisa, I haven't heard that I run Staples yeah. Center and yeah. you're telling people, like, <laughs> no, you know, it's just funny things like that. It's just, a, it's such a special industry that we're all a part of that we work with such great people every day and really special events. And I've been able to be part of it. And my path was a little different than other people, but I was, you know, a college athlete and I- Water, water polo, right? Wasn't it water polo? Yeah, water polo at San Diego State and I loved it, but I wasn't able to do internships. And I, you know, as a division one athlete, you're focused on school, you're focused on your sport. There's not a lot of extra time. And when I graduated, you know, I was like, oh, people are going to want to hire me because I have a college degree, you know, and quickly realized I was making more money bartending. And I- realized why all my friends had college degrees that I was bartending with and had no desire to continue, you know, look outside that world because they were making great money. And so that's why I kind of, I gave myself a few months. I'm like, I'll, I'll look at into other things soon. And then I found a grad program. I didn't want to go back to school. I was done with school as an athlete. You're balancing all those, you know, the hours of school and tests and training and travel. It's really tough. And the last thing I want to do is go back to school. But then I realized, you know what, I want to do internships. I want to start from the bottom. I want to learn. And that really was a, a game changer for me. It's not, you know, necessary for everyone or in our industry, but it gave me the opportunity to get my foot in the door and get internships. And AEG was my first internship in 2007 when I was in grad school. And Kara Vanderhoek hired me when I was in, in grad school and I was her intern for her and, and my former boss, Michael Roth for a semester. Then I went on to work for the Angels for a season. And I quickly realized, you know, I, I wanted to do PR and I loved working at AG and I was able to go back there less than a year later. And that's where I've been my, almost my entire career. You actually had a lot of different roles there, but it kind of ended up as you know, senior director of communications. What do you take most away from your AEG experience that you carry with you today? I'm super blessed to have been in that role in the corporate side that I was able to touch all our divisions and assets within AEG. You know, I wasn't just at one venue or working for one team. I was working within AEG facilities global wide. I was able to open several different venues across our platform. I was able to work with the Kings, the Galaxy with our Lakers, so many different people around the world. And within our global partnerships team, that I think was a true blessing because I got my hand in a lot of different areas. And I was able to make those connections because sometimes, you know, when you, you're at one venue, obviously you're limited to that area. And being in the corporate side, I was able to work with 
so many people during my time and kind of learn how our business was done across all platforms and really get the big picture. I always pride myself that I was able to see how it all worked together because it can be very overwhelming and, you know, know who to reach out to in which division or into someone needs a help, you know, in London needs help reaching out to someone in another arena across the country. And to be able to be that connector has been always been nice to be that go-to person of, you know, I need numbers of how did our venues do in Europe Q3 or what's going on with the Kings this season. It's always been nice to be that go-to person. And it's always been fun because I feel like I've always had a, that connection with so many people. And that's been always been a blessing that I've had, I feel, within AEG. One of the things I know is that you did spend uh, uh, several years as part of the uh, board with uh, Women in Sports and Events. Uh, so what, what was it that drew you to that group and, uh, what did you kind of take away from it? Sure. So for several years, I sat on the board of directors for Wise LA, which is women in sports and events. And it's, it's a national organization, but I sat on their Los Angeles chapter and it was awesome because I was always part of Wise and what they were doing. They're great. You probably have a local Wise chapter within your community. They're all over the country. And it's so awesome to have those like-minded women really supporting each other, looking out for each other, seeing how they can help each other within the industry. And it's awesome to see how people are doing great things within our community. And it's not just about your role and your title, or, you know, I want to work for the Lakers. I want to work for the Dodgers. It's really seeing what great women are doing across the country. And I really, if there's anything I can do to help anyone, you know, women, people breaking into the field. I do informational interviews all the time with people who are, how did you get there? How did, you know, I want to do this. What's it like? And I really felt that connection with wanting to give back. And that was so awesome. And we held monthly events and, you know, networking events and social gatherings and really helped people, you know, get jobs, not just, you know, these aren't just little parties where, you know, cocktail hour, it was real network marketing events and round tables, speed dating in the sense of speed interviewing lessons, you know, mentoring sessions. I was part of the mentoring program. And so those are the things that I think we need to help everyone out with, not just women. You know, we had men who were part of our program too. And it's having those champions, you know, we need men to be our champions in this business because there's a lot of them that are at the top that we want to bring the women with them, you know, up to the top. So it was a really great experience. And I highly recommend anyone to become a member of WISE. So again, another one of the hats I want to touch on. I heard that in addition to everything else you're doing, you're also doing some kind of food line or something with a with a with a jam. There's yes. a, this jam I'm hearing about. Give give me the scoop on this. I see these photos and videos on your Instagram, and I'm a little bit of a foodie. Oh my gosh, she's showing it to us right now. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a foodie, and I see it, and it just makes my mouth drool the entire time. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's sounds amazing. so good. I'm yes. so please tell funny. us about it. Yeah. So, like I said, I've always wanted that entrepreneur side of me. I've always loved that. You know, I worked for Christina for, I've worked for her for several years, even while I was at AEG, I always did it on the side. And I love that part of it. it was, I loved being in, you know, I love being in charge over a lot of aspects that when you have a role in a corporate office, there's someone else doing those types of things. And I really had spent years thinking, what can I launch? What, what is it? What, what field, what product? I have a lot of great friends that are entrepreneurs who have makeup lines and clothing lines and do really great things. And during the pandemic, you know, my fiance is a chef in Los Angeles and 
you know, with everyone shutting down, everyone scrambling, trying to figure out like, what does this mean for us? Thankfully, his restaurant is completely outdoors. So they've had it the best shot at having success during this time. And we were talking back and forth. And ever since we met, I just, I'm the chef at home. He's the chef at work. I like to say, because everyone's like, oh, you're, you're, you're engaged to a chef. You're so lucky. I'm like, I cook at home. He's he just, you know, he, there's occasions he cooks, but I really am the one who cooks at home and not he's definitely better than I am, but you know, I'm not so bad in the kitchen. And, <laughs> you know, when we first met, I'm like, I just feel like we're going to do something. I don't know if it's going to be a keto cookbook or uh, something. I always um, had that in the back of my mind. And when this pandemic hit, you know, we were, I was just thinking back and forth and he has this dish on his menu. It's a grilled chicken sandwich. Okay. It sounds so simple, so easy, but it's their number one item on the menu. And it has this, his sweet pepper relish on it that he makes. And this stuff, you guys, I like want to open it up and just start like pouring it out. Cause it's so delicious. It is so oh good. Gosh. You can eat it on anything, literally anything. And you know, it's a, we call it our sweet pepper relish. And so everyone's like, God, this is so good. The sweet staff at his work were like taking it home in, in ramekins, <laughs> put it on for their food at home. <laughs> and I realized I'm like, you, you, we have something here. We have a great product. And especially during quarantine, I was cooking a ton, doing Instagram videos. People were asking for our recipes. You know, how do you do this? And people were really, you know, the feedback we were getting, they were engaging with it. They really liked it. And I'm like, you know what? I feel like we could do something. I feel like we could start a food brand. We want to help people who are scared of cooking, you know, intimidated by the cooking process. It's not hard. It just takes practice. And, you know, there's recipes to practice on this and that. And I'm like, you know, there's things that can really elevate your cooking at home that don't have to cost a ton of money. You know, I love the idea of starter sauces at Williams Sonoma. They're $20 a jar, but sometimes, you know, you don't want to spend a hundred dollars on ingredients for one dish that you're going to make and won't make again for months. Right. When you're starting to buy all this into it. So that makes sense. And I'm like, you know what? I go, people love your sweet pepper relish. I'm like, I think we need to launch with that because there's this stonewall kitchen that you guys see, you know, in everyone's grocery store, they have end caps. They're doing a great job. They have a huge product line. We would love to be that, but a little bit different, a little bit cooler, hipper, elevated, more modern. Our packaging's super clean, super modern. And the name's called Kitchen. And it's a play on my fiance's last name, Shinley. So it's Kitchen. And we cut off a few letters. And he's had that name, you know, in his mind for a while if he ever opened up a restaurant. And I told him, like, sorry, we're taking it for the product line because it's too good. So <laughs> and it just made sense since we're getting married and I'm gonna take on his last name. And it just like I thought it was told a really nice story. So we're launching, we're so excited. Um, we're literally batching small quantities, we're having it made in his kitchen at his restaurant and the feedback we've had is amazing. With COVID, there's been a few delays just in packaging, things like that, that have kind of slowed the process, but we're so excited. We're in a local grocery store here in Orange County and a specialty shop in Fashion Island. So we're getting a lot of really, really great feedback. Our friends and family love it and they can't get enough of it. I'll be down for an order because I would like to, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely right. in. So you are, I want to say that you have become that girl. That, uh, and I mean this with respect, but every time you mention your fiance, <laughs> your face lights up. So let's get a little scoop here. How'd you guys meet? Uh, the good old fashioned way on Tinder. <laughs> you know, that's how you yeah. do it nowadays, you know, uh, we met, on, we met online, which, 
you would have told me that a few years ago, it never would have happened. I was that person that no, thank you. You know, that's, I know it works. I know it's for a lot of people. It's just not for me. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. And I, you know, I found success. I found love and it's been awesome. So we're really lucky that we've been able to find each other. And when's the big day? When's the big wedding? It's March 6th. And wow, so, that's coming up. You know, it's going to be one year to the day that we got engaged actually. And we didn't start planning for six months because of the pandemic and we didn't know what that meant. And finally we, you know, we're, we're not so spry and young and we want to start a family soon. And I was ready to, we were ready to get married. And finally, after six months, I said, okay, you know, there's a date that's open at the venue we want. It's in six months. We're going to be fine. And sure enough, we're sitting here still with COVID, but you know, numbers are going down and we're taking a lot of protocols. Obviously our number of our guest list had to be cut dramatically and we're taking all the precautions that are out there. We're doing, making sure everyone tests before they come to the event. They have to test and provide proof of a negative COVID test or bring their proof of vaccine. So we're doing everything we can possible. If you need help with that, I know this company, uh, <laughs> Rebuild 20, um, they, they, they work on events. Yeah. So I just ha also had a bridal shower and I had my team there doing COVID check-ins and making sure that everyone, you know, temperature checks, questions. Yeah. That's gotta be convenient. You know, yeah. you're not, you're kind of, you know, unlike these other people who are worried about their weddings and they're like, how am I going to do this? You know, yeah, that's your side job, you know, uh, pepper relish there too. So oh, uh, a little, it's going to be our favor. Everyone's going to get it. Very nice. Amazing. Yeah. That's no, I think, I, I think within the industry, it's going to be very similar. So there's going to be just new protocols that people are going to have to go through. Sometimes testing, showing your vaccine paperwork, proving you that you are COVID free. And it's just, it's a new world. It's just is what it is, yeah. unfortunately. And, you know, when I first, we talked about doing COVID tests for everyone, I was hesitant because I was nervous. I'm like, oh, is that asking too much of everyone? And I was like, no, I want everyone to come and feel comfortable coming to our wedding, not feeling worried if someone next to me, COVID positive, et cetera. And when we were sharing that we were going to do this with all our guests, they were elated. They were, oh, that's awesome that you're doing that. We're, that'll make us feel so much better. So people were really receptive to it. So I think that you're going to see that a lot too in the future. Well, congratulations on the, the engagement and the, and the, the pending nuptials. <laughs> Thank you. You definitely, uh, you definitely glow when you talk about this guy. So uh, uh, it looks like great things ahead. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, planning this out, you know, over six months and how different things are from where they were March of last year to where they are, you know, uh, March of this year. But where do you see us a year from now? Where do you see this entertainment industry, you know, in early 2022? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I hope we're back in some way, shape or form. You know, I do see us coming back in some capacity. I think with the vaccines and, you know, the numbers going down, that's definitely going to help, but I don't see us hundred percent back. I don't see Staples Center at 20,000 capacity for a little while, unfortunately, but I do see us back in some, some form. Right. And I think everyone has that virtual event overload. There's only so many virtual events you can sit on your screen and watch. There's nothing like going to a live show and being there obviously and experiencing it and being there with your friends and that time with your friends, you know, my, our favorite weekend of the year stagecoach. We have such a great time seeing all our friends and people from the industry and spending that time together. It's something you can't get over zoom. So I think there's going to definitely be new ways of doing 
shows and concerts and festivals. And I hope that happens really soon because, you know, I didn't think we'd be here a year from now or a year ago. I didn't think we'd be sitting in the same, same spot. Well, we, we look forward to uh, whatever's yet to come in. And we know you'll be on the forefront uh, of uh, whatever's coming. So uh, looking for you to some of those answers. Hey, before we let you go, we like to do this thing called the Fast Five. We ask you five quick questions and just get your, your immediate answers. So without any further ado, uh, first, your first concert. What was your first concert? Boys to Men. Your favorite concert? Adele. Nicest artist you've ever met? Oh my gosh. There's been a, a lot. It's really hard to, to think about that. That one's really tough. It's like picking your favorite child, right? I won't get in the spot with that one. How about the favorite venue that you haven't worked at? That I haven't worked at? Oh, wow. Gosh, that's tough. No rush. I, I, I feel like it's so long since I haven't been to a venue that it wasn't mine or wasn't a you know an AEG facility. That's really tough. Um, you know what? I will say I love going to new venues. I love going to new venues. We just went to, um, we went to the world series and the new stadium in Arlington was beautiful. It's, I'm always fascinated by new stadiums, whether they're ours or not, everything that goes into it, I can really appreciate because you, you know, the flow of the concourse or the escalators, elevators, the concession stands. I love going to new venues because you really see how it elevates from old school venues, venues that have been around forever. And I understand why teams, want new venues, but you can't build a new arena every 10, 15 years. I think venues like Staples Center have done an amazing job of keeping that fresh and spending a lot of money and investing to making sure that they're one of the top arenas in the world. And that's how they're doing it because a lot of these stadiums, arenas, everything, it's just, it's beautiful. I will say SoFi Stadium, I have been able to tour it and it's beautiful. It looks great on TV. I can't wait to check it out in person. Last question, uh, and this one we ask all our guests, but it seems particularly appropriate for you. You get your own TV show that's all about you and your life. Uh, what is the theme song to that TV show? What is the song that plays over the opening credits? Oh, that's funny. I feel like it would be like it's a, a new original song about... It's a TikTok song. You know, it's that's a TikTok it, right? song. <laughs> it's a shanty. It's a sea shanty. You know, I hope about it's a song about... I think the running theme about a lot of entrepreneurs or hopefully, or businesses that do well, they came out of really hard times. And, you know, a lot of times when you listen to CEOs or entrepreneurs that start really great companies, it came out from when they lost their job, they had a huge life change and it was like the worst thing that ever had happened to them. And it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to them in their life. So I really hope it's a new song about how things were really hard and then they got really, really good. You know, I think an original would only be a fitting for you because I feel like uh, uh, you're definitely out there doing your own thing and, and leading the way for all of us. If somebody wants to reach out to you or learn more about uh, Rebuild 20, uh, what's what's the best way uh, there on the uh, the social? Absolutely. I can be reached on my email. Um, I have a few ways on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Kazeb, C-A-Z-E-B, or you can email me at czbish at rebuild20.com. So C-Z-E. B-I-S-C-H at rebuild20.com. Or you can go to rebuild20.com online. 
Very cool. Hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. I, I know the craziness. I remember when I planned my wedding, I said, I'm only going to do this once because I never want to have to go through this again. It's a lot. Uh, I have so many friends. It's, this is easy. This is fine. Good. Congratulations uh, again. And thanks again to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.